Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a light-hearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Well, holy shit, we are back. I said we would be back August 18th, and we are back. How are you? It feels like eons since I've been on or recording or talking to someone via Zoom that wasn't a fucking work meeting. We're not done with COVID, though I didn't think we'd be done by the time the break was over. But, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, maybe, maybe it'll be over. No, I do have a guest, an amazing person, also from Virginia. We do talk about Virginia a little bit. Ryan Leach, guys, I'm such a fan. He's such an amazing comedian slash person. And I want to recommend that you guys follow his satirical magazine, Off Mag, on the social medias at A-W-F-M-A-G. It's fucking hilarious. If you like Reductress, if you like The Onion, you will like Off Mag. I follow it myself and you're just going to have a blast reading the headlines. We talk about a lot of shit. Um, talk COVID, Avi. We talk Fire Island. We talk Virginia. We talk barebacking. We talk about a lot of stuff and it's a really f- interesting episode. It's a really conversational episode. Um, I had a blast importing it. I think you will too. Like, I think you're going to have a good time. Did I get diarrhea mid-recording? I did. Did I tell Ryan that I had to pee? I did. But I was gone long enough that I think he was able to use context clues. And I hope, Ryan, that you're listening to this right now and chuckling because what is life if not getting diarrhea while recording? (laughs) I'm actually pretty sure I know what it is. I'm not going to name the um, place, but this is the second time that I've had something from that place that seven hours later, I found myself in a precarious situation. And it is August and we are in a heat wave. And fun fact, I don't have central air. I have window ACs. And so you have to turn off all fucking ACs while recording because you'll hear it. And you don't know New York City. You've never lived in New York City until you've had to poop in New York City during a heat wave where your fucking bathroom just doesn't get any type of breeze and you're sweating buckets while you poo. It is truly one of the most unique New York City experiences. And I don't think you can say you've been to New York until you've done that. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, that's the line. You want to live in New York? You want to be a New Yorker? That's something you have to do. This is coming out the 18th in two days. I will be turning 33. Jesus is here. And not only is it my birthday, yay Leos, we're so great. We are so great. Just carrying every other astrological sign on our backs. It's also the day that I moved up to New York City. It'll be my 10 year anniversary moving to New York fucking city. And it is wild. I have been um, kind of a wreck in in like a good way. I've gotten my period. I'm rewatching Sex and the City because my period does not uh, align with my friends' periods. It aligns with the e-marathons that have sex in the city. Um, so I've been an emotional mess, a nostalgic mess, and the greatest of all ways that the city just wants to be a part of this recording. I, I don't even live like on a busy street. Just looking back at everything, it's fucking wild of the growth and also in a lot of areas, lack of growth of where we are and just how happy I am to have made the decision to move to New York City, to trust my gut and to make a big choice in life rather than um, being afraid. And I just say that 
because I, uh, my birthday wish to all of y'all is that if you are thinking about something that you want to do and you're scared and you're nervous and that's holding you back, I wish you all the confidence and all the courage to take that step and do exactly what it is that you really do want to do and eat the hard part. It is going to fucking suck. Uh, and then it won't. And that's so cool. Life is so cool. The last thing I'm going to say in this intro, because again, not a solo episode, truly one of my longest intros ever, is on August 27th, it's going to be the eight year anniversary of Awkward Sex in the City, the show. Another thing that I was terrified to do and did it. And all I can say is you are allowed to be scared of the things that you want to do, but it's not worth not doing them just because you're fucking scared to still do it. It's going to be a mess, a glorious, beautiful mess. It is one of the most beautiful things that I've ever gotten to be a part of and how much I've learned about myself and others and the growth that it's given me. I will forever be in debt to this show and the people that have touched this show and the podcast. Um, tickets are available at Littlefield's website, littlefield.com. Sorry, the noise is me moving my microphone. Love to have you there. Unfortunately, they're not doing live streaming anymore, so there won't be live streaming tickets for our out-of-state people. Um, thank you uh, for those that did participate in that. That was really fucking cool. Hope to see you there. Without further a fucking do, here is our episode after my break. What's going on, Ryan? How are you? Oh my gosh, Natalie, it's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess? This world. <laughs> yeah, don't you feel that? I feel like, um, you know, it's been a year. Uh, we were like locked away and now everything is like open now. You know what I mean? But it opened very quickly and it also opened during Gay Pride in New York City, uh, which is a very like hypersexual, anxiety inducing event for many people already. But also like this was Pride, like it was when everything opened after a year and it was all of that happening all at once. Like lots of events and seeing people and dressing for the events and getting tickets for the events and like going out again, um, meeting new people again, which is one of my favorite things about New York City. But that that is, uh, that is what is happening for me. <laughs> I don't think I realized that we opened during Pride. Like, I don't think I realized that. I would say that's when things began to be normal again. Um, by normal, I just mean like, I was like, oh, we're at a party. No one is wearing masks. Uh, people traveling from out of state, out of the country. I was, I was pleasantly surprised because I had a lot of anxiety about everything opening during Pride. But then what happened was it was also very comforting to see, like I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to be overly stimulating. But then it was very much like also, oh, my community. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. these people I love. I'm, I'm seeing them all at once, reconnecting, dancing, lots of things uh, for Pride were outside. So it wasn't like, um, it didn't feel like abnormal, like I thought maybe it would. It was still definitely like anxiety inducing at first. But then I think it was, I was pleasantly surprised to see that I saw so many people that I love and that made it worth it. Yeah. But we were all exhausted. So I don't know how your Pride was, but mine was exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> there's just like an underlying current of exhaustion through all of this like exhausted when we were in lockdown when we didn't know what's going on when we started opening up exhausted now because it's like we're supposed to be doing everything like we used to but cases are going up uh like i i don't know how to be a producer anymore like i like have lost all like ability to and i'm like 
that's weird, but I get exhausted sending like a single email, like sending you the Zoom Zoom link during like my lunch break. I like fell asleep 20 minutes after. Your show was the first show that I saw like post pandemic, like inside people inside. We were masked, I think, um, when we weren't like drinking and everything was spaced apart. But your show was, I went with uh, Jen and Mm -hmm. uh, it was lovely. I loved it. But yours was like, and I'll always remember it as the first show that happened when everything started to come back. And I think that that was May and then Pride was June. So that was May. You're right. That was May, like end of May. Fuck. I don't remember, but it was like four days later, Cuomo changed uh, all like the restrictions. And so the next time I went to Littlefield, like four days later, it was like packed and no one's wearing masks. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is so much too quickly. So to go back to your question, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. <laughs> It's just like, you know, I, I really have started to feel, you know, speaking of like, you know, like love and touch and like sex and relationships and all of this, you can feel that people still haven't really coped with it. You know, I mean, people are still going through it, uh, you know, especially in states with low vaccination rates. Um, you know, I think that... Uh, I'm starting to notice that in intimate moments with people that we're all sort of not there yet. We haven't dealt with everything that happened yet and continues to happen. Um, Like we were just talking about it the other day, my friend Peter and I, and it's like this time last year, it was like election was coming. That awful man was still president. Like there was no vaccine. Um, It was like, we just had this summer, this like highly volatile political summer. Um, things were wild. And I would say that even though things have opened in a lot of ways, things are still really wild, um, which, mm, you know, but I do think too that like everyone started the pandemic with, you know, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, but also like, I'm going to use this to be a better me. I'm going to learn a language. People started exercising. People's sleep schedules got better. There were gays out here who I had never seen their eyes, not dark pits of despair. And I was like, you look well-rested for the first time that I've ever known you. Um, So I think it, and, and other people spiraled, right? Like other people were like drinking too much, doing too many drugs, not sleeping at all. Um, But I do think that we're opening up, but we all are different people in a way, whether we've reckoned with that or not. Um, and so that makes dating and like intimacy, I think, really hard. I think we're also sort of, you know, there were, I was in uh, Virginia, which I know you're from Virginia too, mm-hmm. for four months during the pandemic. I was with my mom and um, there, you know, it was different down there because there were people who like, they couldn't care less. Like I would turn on, grinder or something and they'd be like we're going out tonight I'd be like going out where yeah where <laughs> to do what <laughs> like um and it was beautiful to be in the south for everything that happened uh in june of last year and over the summer of last year all the protests because i got to see the statues get taken down in richmond which was huge for me um but it was also like, I did miss New York. Um, and when I returned to New York in like August of last year, it's been about a year I've been back. And 
it was scary to go hook up with people. There were people like, I mean, because then you, if you would go kiss someone or be inside with someone, it was like, are we going to get tested first? Are we going to quarantine and get tested first? Like, then you have to find that person who's like worth your time. Or if you like just go meet someone, it's like for the next two weeks, you are stressed. You are like anxious, you're overwhelmed. I was especially worried about meeting up with people during the pandemic back home because I was like with my mom and I was like, oh my God, like I cannot get her sick. Like I cannot, you know, there were some people who lived alone and their risk level was definitely way, way less. But for me, I was like, oh, I'm not going to take any chances on this, like pre-vaccine. But um, I don't know. Do you feel too, like there's a little bit, I know you're in a relationship and everything, but do you feel that in the air at all? Yeah, definitely. And speaking of Virginia, anytime I've gone down, like during the pandemic, I've gotten so many weird looks for wearing a mask still. Like it is like nothing happened down there. Uh, and it's very polarizing uh, uh, in Virginia and it's really weird. But definitely, I think there's definitely a weird, it's like when you said it's, there's like this unspoken undercurrent of like, we haven't dealt with the grief of what we've experienced. And because grief in itself is already such a like unique and personal experience that everyone does have to figure out like how they do get through this type of grief uh, that we all collectively dealt with at the same time, but it's going to be so personal and so different. It's yeah, it's fucking wild. Like I can't even imagine or think back to when this all started and even like who I was back then too. Um, I was having like massive like panic and anxiety attacks at the end of like 2019, early 2020. So when this, when like everything happened and shit hit the fan, I was like, welcome, like, here we go together. And I was just so excited to be stuck inside too. I was at Trader Joe's. So I originally was going to like stay and work because uh, I was like, people need to eat. Um, but Trader Joe's sucks and they were not doing anything to really protect us. It was wild. I could tell you so much shit. So I took a leave of absence and I was just like, so happy to not have to go anywhere. And then I felt like so guilty. I was like, this is not how I wanted to get this break. I didn't want millions to die, but had no clue how badly I needed it. Like, I don't know about you, but I was like exhausted physically and like mentally and emotionally and had no clue how to verbalize it and no clue how to, um, deal with it. I think some people, I like thrive in chaos. I think I always have. I think that that comes from like growing up or like growing up with housing that maybe wasn't always stable, growing up with like a lot of change, a lot of uncertainty. So when the pandemic started, I didn't panic too much. I was just sort of like, okay, well, let's see. I like certainly was like, well, let's stay healthy. Like, uh, let's try to follow the guidelines the best that we can. I, of course, like reached out to people that I loved and you know, checked in with them because all we had was just a lot of time. I was working at a theater when everything happened and we kept going with digital content. And I was, I'm tech savvy. So I was very busy with working there. It was, and we, I worked there through the whole pandemic and I left um, just a few months ago to work somewhere else just because working in the arts became uh, like unbearable to do because it was all online. It was nice to know that my institution was able to keep paying artists, whether it was staff or performers or technicians through the pandemic. We were so lucky because we didn't really rely on ticket sales before, but it was, yeah. I mean, I saw 
there were definitely times where it was a break, but it was also like, sometimes the break was too much. It was like, how do, how am I going to navigate this? We have time. We're very lucky. We have opportunity. We have ability. We have, but then it's, what do I tackle first? What do I do first? You know, just, I got on a very good sleep schedule. There was a while where I was with my dad and he's a recovered alcoholic. So there was no alcohol in the house. When I was in Virginia, I had no access to drugs. So I was completely, I like was completely sober, just like drinking water all the time. You were straight edge. <laughs> and uh, it was good. I was so healthy. Uh, work was, I felt very lucky to be employed because I wasn't one of those people like calling the unemployment office every day, like really, really worried about stuff. I know that was so stressful for some people. I had gotten out of a four-year relationship in May of 2019. And then the pandemic hit in February, and I had not even had a full year of being single, which was wild because I was still on my own journey of... When I got in that relationship, I was 23. And when I got out of that relationship, I was 27. And that was like wild to suddenly be single again after four years of being in a monogamous relationship. So those months between that breakup, like May to February were a lot of fun. Uh, Also like sad in a lot of ways, Um, really just getting to like know myself again. Um, And then when the pandemic hit, it was like, well, now I really get to know myself again because I have to make, you know, you, you know, decisions about, you know, work and my goals and my ethics and who is important to me. It was a really big thing. Um, you know, I always felt there were a lot of people I had lived with my partner before we broke up. And there were a lot of people who were like, I'm so sad. I'm alone for the pandemic. I wish that I had my partner, my person. And of course, all these people fell into relationships so quickly. Not me. Because I had lived with a partner, so I knew it wasn't perfect. Because to me, I was like, yes, that is lovely. That there's all these people who are finding partnerships and intimacy. And I know that there's going to be a lot of couples. But because I had lived with my partner at the end of our relationship, I also knew some of these people are hanging on by a thread. And the only way the relationship even works is that you barely see each other in at home. Like you're not together. You, you go to bed together, you wake up, you don't see each other all day and then you come back and you do it again, you know, and that for a lot of people, that was how they were functioning. So I saw a lot of breakups too, during the pandemic, during quarantine, and I completely understood. And there were a lot of my friends who felt sort of lonely and I was like, it's okay to feel lonely. I mean, this is a very isolating event, right? But I also felt, um, don't get stuck in that grass is always greener kind of thing. Like, oh, if I had my partner here, it would all be so much better. I was like, that's a lot of caveats. There's a lot of buts in that. There's a lot of conditions. Like, do you like your partner? Is your relationship sustainable this way? Is your living situation accommodating of you both being at home? You know, do you like, how does this work? How is your communication? You know, all these things. So I tried to remind people like, like maybe embrace being alone for a little bit. When will you ever get this again? You know? So yeah, that was really, that was an interesting time for me for sure. Absolutely. And you bring up the people coupling really quickly. What was it? It was like June of this year. 
June of this year when shit opened up, when all of a sudden all the breakups happened, it was like all the puppies that got say, uh, taken to homes got sent back to God. the ASPCA. I know, so fucking sad. But yeah, it's like that whole grass is greener. It was a, this, the past like year and a half has been like a huge, I think, learning curve and lesson for a lot of people of learning like, what is, who are you? What is important to you? What do you need? What do you need in this relationship for people that like broke up and like people got together? Um, I remember like the first month in, uh, cause me and Aaron lived together, have lived together almost five years. And I was like, this could go truly either way. Like, I can't wait to see what the fuck happens. And we had like just gotten engaged too. So I was like, here we go. Totally. It's like, here's your test. Not to mention all the people who were scheduled to be married, who had to push their weddings back and all this. You could really tell about a person by how upset they were about having to like move their wedding back. Like people, what is your relationship to marriage and the actual wedding in the marriage process? You know, it tests you. It's, it's a big, and also in the couples, some people were like, it's not a big deal. And some people were like, it's everything to me, you know, and both are valid, I think for sure. Um, but it was, it was wild to witness, I think. One unfortunate thing is that the wedding industry did not implode. It got stronger. Truly. Like we, we want to get married. So we got engaged in November, 2019 COVID happened. And we both were just like, we haven't done any planning. We don't have to worry about anything. We are going to wait until the next year, which would have been now. But then we were like, well, we're going to move. That's a lot of stuff. Let's wait another year. So like it's <laughs> engaged for like two and a half, three years, which is fine. Like I am totally cool with that. But, um, we started sending out just like feelers to see what it costs to get married in New York city. It's, it's college tuition yes. at this point. It's like, no, like, fuck you. Like, it's a fucking day. <laughs> and then just like, I didn't know this until recently, but like a lot of places, a lot of people, when they had to cancel their weddings, did not get like money back. They were just like, sorry, it was in the contract. And I was like, fuck you, wedding industry. Fuck you. And then I also found out that, because um, we were talking with someone about like, what if we tried to do this party and never let them know it's a wedding? And they were like, cool. But the thing is, you got to realize is that you don't have the same protection if they don't know it's a wedding. Like they can bump you mm-hmm. the day of. And I was like, I had no clue they could do that. And they were like, yeah, that's why they make you say wedding. And they have like all these caveats and shit and why there's like these certain protections and why it costs so much more. And I was like, I fucking hate all of this. I'm so done with it. It's not worth it. Could do so much. I was going to say blow, but that's just to be funny, but it's not what I would do with the money. Um, could just, we were like, we want to go on ventures. We want to yeah. go see more different countries. Why we spend this much, this much money on like a fucking day. That's good. I think the way that you looked at it, you know, that's stressful. That's so stressful. Um, especially for people who are international and they had family coming from out of the country or, um, you know, that's a lot. I went to a wedding very recently, like last weekend and it was sad because like the cases were rising again and they had already postponed it and they got really, it was an outdoor wedding and they were really nervous still. And they had family coming from India and France and England and all these places. A lot of people from Los Angeles, which has really high cases. And, um, you know, I went and I got tested and I'm fine and I was vaccinated. And, and those are hard conversations to have with people. I mean, whether it's, we're about to hook up or like we're getting married and you have to talk to your whole family or all your partners. It was like, are you vaccinated? Like for some people, that's a really touchy question. And I felt bad for people who had to navigate that with their loved ones because I have family who is not vaccinated. So if I were getting married, I would either have to be like, you cannot come to the wedding or you know, it's hard. I mean, people take it really personally, but also it's like, 
how could you not get vaccinated to go to an event that is like so important to your loved one? I don't understand, you know, um, but that was, you know, that was interesting. And, and it was hard too, because speaking of like, whether we do this or whether we don't, even if it was just like a hookup, that was difficult too. I mean, it's like, it's all about trust and communication. And if, and usually if you're just looking for a hookup, it's like, you don't have to put all that effort into it, you know? Um, and suddenly it was, the stakes were so much higher. And I'll like cut the bullshit out though. Cause like I have friends that like got into relationships during COVID. Um, one of them met at a protest and like uh-huh. he got a COVID test so they could like hook up, but it cuts the bullshit out really quickly. Cause it is, what does this mean to you? What are we willing to do for each other? You can't pussyfoot around those types of questions when it really is putting someone's health at risk and like literal, literal life at risk. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just such a weird situation. And I mean, they seem very happy. They've like moved in together. Um, not seem, they are very happy. And just to see that work in such a chaotic environment, let alone the city last year during the protests, like uh, it's fucking wild. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons and Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out the Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Find the Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Sorry, this is a pivot, but Summer reminded me of this. You seem to be thriving in Fire Island this summer, <laughs> according to Insta. Sorry, this I know it's a hard pivot, but I was like, oh my God, your Insta's been great. Well, that's been wild too, because we canceled our Fire Island last summer because oh. we were just like, oh, we don't want to go. And what was really wild to us was that they just gave our house away. So there were people not even planning on going who took the house in the middle of COVID. We were like, best of luck, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, I have been having fun. You know, Fire Island, I feel very lucky. When I was 23, my manager at my restaurant was an artist assistant to these two guys there who own a house. And he was, he was so sweet, my friend. And he was like, um, do you want to come? And I was 23, like prime twink, prime twinkdom back in the day. And it, it was, he made sure that I had an incredible time. Like he took care of me. He made sure that I was able to navigate relationships with men. The best story about Fire Island for my first time there was, you know, I'm, I'm a small town girl. And so I, um, like I have a lot of attitude and stuff, but I definitely have like also, a, I'm a comedian. Like I have a ton of insecurity, like a ton of like self-esteem things that I'm always trying to work out. This was before my relationship and everything. Um, I was new to the city and I came with board shorts, like board shorts that I wore to like South Carolina beach oh trip. And my friend was, he was like, you're not wearing those because our house didn't have a hot tub. So one thing that we did was we got on Grinder and we were like looking for a hot tub. Anybody have a hot tub? We just took pictures of ourselves like, you know, at the house to show them the South African guy invites us over. This is, this must be, I mean, when was I 23? Uh, 2015. And we um, go there and he's just like, you're not wearing those. <laughs> like, So I put this, he gives me a Speedo. I put this Speedo on 
And then I put the board shorts over the Speedo because I was so insecure about my body and like nervous about like sex and like putting myself out there for men. And um, we go and I get in the hot tub. And then when we get in the hot tub, I like get a little comfortable because I start drinking. Um, I also, so I never drank in high school or college. I didn't do drugs either. So when I moved to the city, I started doing those things. And I was almost like, maybe I should have done it before, <laughs> before that. But so I, I, I'm there, I'm having a really good time. I get loosened up and then I take the board shorts off and I'm like in the Speedo. But then of course it's Fire Island. So then everyone's like, well, we're going to get naked. And I was like, all right, I'm on like step one here. Okay, everybody. <laughs> like, I was like, They are ripping that bandaid off for you. Yeah. And I love being gay. Like I love being gay. I love gay people. I love being around gay people. But that was a part of the culture that I knew existed, but I had definitely not. I mean, I went to the University of Virginia. Like we were not, doing things like that. Like we were, I mean, I would hook up with people at UVA, but it was like a lot of closet cases and a lot of guys with like, you're from Virginia, like a lot of guys with a lot of issues, a lot of Southern boys, old, you know, old, old tiny boys. Like, um, like there were parties at UVA that would like get very sexual and people would like go into rooms and stuff. But I was, that was not me. Like that was not my scene there. So when I moved to New York and I started to like go out a lot and like get attention from boys. And it was like a totally different scene that was way different for me. Um, and so that was like, and so now I love going to fire Island, but the, the thing that is most important to me about fire Island is that my friend, he brought me there and made sure I was safe and I felt confident and I felt comfortable. And I went a lot this summer with people and it was their first time. And that is my, like, that is my MO. Like I want everyone there to feel safe and to feel confident and to feel comfortable. I want them to know that if you're feeling insecure at Fire Island, like pretty much everyone feels insecure at Fire Island. You know, like you will see the most beautiful boys at Fire Island and they will be like a mess because they'll just be like, are we going to the right parties? Like, am I, you know, because like, if you're like a, a mega beautiful boy, like gym every day, you know what I mean? Like, like traditional, like stereotypical, what everyone thinks of when they think of Fire Island, there's, a million of those boys. So it's like, you're insecure because you are always surrounded by people who are just as beautiful as you, if not more beautiful. Um, and so I always just try to tell people like, relax, you know, like what you're feeling is totally normal. Um, it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming to be there. And so I have a really good time there because I tell people you can be at like some pool orgy one night, everyone naked in the hot tub, like poppers and dick sucking, blah, blah, blah. And then the next night you're playing Settlers of Catan with your friends, like getting high on, you know, whatever. Like it, that's my thing. And, and I always try to remind people too, like there's an underwear party there. And I'm like, guys, we're all on Long Island. <laughs> like, like we're on Long Island. Like this is, you know, come on. Like we're all here. We're in our underwear. Also, please don't look for the love of your life at this underwear party. You know what I mean? It's like going on Grinder and being like looking for a long-term relationship. It's like, you might find it totally, but most people don't and that's okay. So like maybe, you know, save that goal for somewhere else and just like, you know, live your truth <laughs> as best you can. I'm excited to see like Joel Kim Booster wrote a movie about, um, and I heard him talk about it, about Fire Island, where it maps over Pride and Prejudice. And you sort of feel that from, you know, Jane Austen's novels of like, am I good enough? Am I doing things in the right way? Am I wearing the right thing? Am I saying things the right way? Am I at the right events? You know, 
Some people are looking for their forever love. Some people are in relationships and happy. Some are in relationships and unhappy. Um, and one thing that I try to remind people about when you're at Fire Island is, you know, it's hard to remember sometimes because you see the best and the worst of us, especially if you're like a certain body type or a certain race or a certain class, you know, everything there is about like, how much access you have, how many resources you have. And I heard an interview with Joel where he really described that really well about how like they're all different classes. Like your class is a class, your race is a class, your body type is a class, your, you know, your everything is a class. Um, And sometimes I have to really check myself because I'm argumentative and combative. It's like my nature. And things that trigger me are uh, certain like professions because because UVA, when I went to the University of Virginia, very triggering for me because I had not come from a lot of privilege and it was sort of me learning the way that the world worked for the first time, which was very like tough. It was, it uh, certainly I did not respond in the best way to that. Um, and, and I really lacked a lot of empathy for certain kinds of people um, who had certain like privileges and I was learning about like the way that I fit into this world that I had, you know, suddenly chosen. And I was very lucky to have a lot of really good friends and a really good support system. But, you know, if I'm at a party and some guy is hitting on me and he's like, you know, I work for a corporate law firm in DC and we're like in a hot tub naked together. It's like, I've gotten better at like relaxing and being like, okay, I'm not going to like ask you about like the Dodd-Frank act or something and like roast you for working at an evil place. Like if you work for McKinsey, I'm, I'm going to try to like change this, you know? (laughs) I used to nanny for a dad that worked at McKinsey and the girl, there's three kids, but the oldest girl who was like savvy and understood what was going on would tell me like all of their clients. And one day the mom heard and she was like, you can't tell Nellie that. That's like NDA contract shit. And all I can say is like, it's a terrible company. It's awful. Like, look at Pete mm-hmm, Buttigieg. a lot of blood on their hands. Wait, what? Pete Buttigieg. Like, look at Pete Buttigieg work for McKinsey. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. and when I moved to New York, I went on lots of dates with people who work at like Deloitte and McKinsey and JP Morgan and Chase and like, you know, all these whatever. So um, I've gotten much better about it over the years, uh, just because you know I'm pe- really good people in my life have been like, how are you know how are you going to change these people? Is it productive what you're doing? You know these kinds of things. Anyways, Fire Island looks so gay, and it is, but it's like, what does gay mean? You know, because it can really mean anything. And then I've really worked a lot on Fire Island at uh, just being present with people, like going into situations without expectations making sure I'm surrounded by like a loving group of people and just being myself. Like that's another thing is that when I talk to these people, it's not like I need to either like jump down their throat or <laughs> like, or, you know, um, be like a docile little twink, you know, who does exactly what they want. I can really be myself and not get into arguments with them. I can do both, you know? And that is the way that I have found that I, I find the people who are, um, like the sex is better because we're more compatible and I'm not performing, you know, um, it's overwhelming there because you can have like sex with like eight to 10 people in a day, truly, if you really want in various places, either like group sex, one-on-one, hooking up with couples outside in your bed on a roof. Like really it's like people will have sex. 
Just like every porn that yes. I search. People make porn there, you know, like there were Love people it. there. I, there was a couple that was there who I know through like theater stuff. And, you know, I saw one of them and I was like, oh, where's your partner? And they were like, oh, he's uh, shooting a scene. And I was like, incredible. Um, and so there is sex positivity there. And then there isn't. It's like, it's so hard to explain that place because it's a little bit of everything. And that's why I say like, but then also it's like, it's a gay oasis. Like everyone's gay. Everyone you see is gay. Everyone, you know, which is beautiful because then you see we're all different because there is, you focus on less that we're a community and you focus on the differences. And I don't mean differences that pull us apart, but just differences that make our community so rich. And, you know, I mean, it's scary because like there's a lot of drugs at Fire Island. I think like Fire Island is where I have tried for the first time, most drugs that I've never tried before. Like poppers, I tried for the first time at Fire Island. Ketamine, pretty much Molly in like a party uh, scenario. I won't like list them all off in case, you know, I run for president one day, but they, you know, drugs are available there. Like G is everywhere, which like people don't know what G is. And it's- I was literally going to be like, what's G? I don't think I know that one. It's truly the way that it was described to me um, by a guy. It was, it's truly a date rape drug that gay people use recreationally now, which oh is a nightmare, God. Natalie. <laughs> like date rape is in like, you're going to pass out. You're going to lose like control of your body. Yeah. So it's oh like my God. what men used to put in women's drinks in like the eighties and nineties. And it, you would literally like pass out. Like you just, you, so you have to dose it out really carefully, but it can fuck you up and you can't drink on it because it will, it slows your body down. And if you drink on it, that will also slow your body down. So your, your heart will stop and your lungs will stop, but it it makes you really horny. So people will do it for, for fun. And it does, it makes you so horny. Like, and it also makes you kind of like uninhibited is what it does. So, and people do it and, and successfully and they get everything they want from it. You know, I'm not here to like, I definitely think there's me and a lot of my friends have a lot of conversations about how afraid of G we are. I would say I'm most afraid of G because it's like one of those drugs where you can fuck all night on it. Like it makes you so horny that you just like will have bareback sex for hours and not come or come a bunch of times. So it's like, it was first offered to me a lot on Grindr by men who were like, have you ever tried G? And I was like, no, <laughs> never. Um, and, and you could, I mean, like, I'm not an idiot. So I could tell like what it was kind of, it's like, if, if it's like if the man in the white van is the only person offering you candy, you're, you're like, what is candy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like candy must be bad. <laughs> something's happening with candy. Like something's going to happen to me if I eat that candy, you know? Um, but yeah, but people really, I mean, I feel very lucky because I have for the most part had only positive sexual experiences at Fire Island. Also like a lot of rejection on Fire Island because, you know, there's like literally hundreds of men. So it's like, yeah, you're going to get rejected because you, there's hundreds of men. Like you're not going to get like every, because not only are you not going to get every guy that you want because like, you know, there's so many men, but also like there's so many men. So, you know, it's not like we're the only two gays at this party. You know, you really have your pick of, of really interesting, fabulous, beautiful, fun, you know, unique men and, and not men, you know, there as well. So, I mean, I, I think you're starting to see better representation there, but I'm glad it looks good. Some people are like, Ryan, you're there all the time. Really, it's just, we take so many photos um, or I'm very lucky, like friends will be out there and they'll be like, there's people left. Do you want to come take their bed for a couple nights? And I'll be like, yeah, I'd love to go. So, um, 
it's a place where I, I feel both very beautiful and also like hideous, uh, depending on the, the minute of the day, you know, like, I feel very euphoric, but also like exhausted, depending. I always want to be really fair about it with people. Um, when I first went, you're in heaven because you get off of the boat and there's just like pride flags. And I was like 23 when I went. So I was like little Pollyanna. Now I'm a little bit more cuntier, you know, like a little bit more bitchy, a little bit more discerning about like what is what who I am, you know, and what I want and what makes me feel good uh, and what doesn't. And that has been, I think, like a battle. <laughs> like, But again, my advice to everyone who wants to go to Fire Island is like, you can have a lot of fun there, um, but be easy on yourself. Like that goes for everyone. I think that is like the most, like be easy on yourself. Um, you are beautiful, you know, like someone out there loves you. And also go with people who you love and who love you, you know? And I think that that is, the best way to go to any gay space because that's how you're going to have the most fun. I always picture it as like the queer summer camp that was never given to someone's youth. Just like a cornucopia of queer, just like whatever they've ever wanted to try. It's like that summer camp and fucking parent trap. Like, do you want to do fencing? Do you want to play poker? Do you want to do this? Except like queer themes. I will say too, it is kind of like summer camp because it's one of those places where like, I would say queer people growing up, really good example. Like if we went to summer camp, there weren't queer people there for the most part. So like we didn't have like summer romances. But at Fire Island, you could be like 23, 24. You could even be in your 30s and like meet a boy. And it's like, oh my God, I love you. And you have like passionate sex and you barely know anything about them. And then like, you know, and then you leave and maybe don't see them again. And like you stay in touch, but like, you know, whatever. It's like, we had this like beautiful thing um, it's very romantic in a lot of ways. Uh, also, like this last time I went to Fire Island, I met new friends and that was really lovely because I'm all about like making new queer friends. Um, and they were really interesting. But it's hard too because then, you know, the more people that you know, the more friends that you make, then every event that you go to there is like more stressful because you're like talking here, talking, you know, it's like you have to see everyone. Everyone's like, this party's happening. That party's happening. Like this, we're having people here. There's a theme to this one. I'm like, what is going? But then it's like, once again, just like be with your friends and like relax and whatever you end up doing. It's like, because everything opened. So again, with Fire Island too, it's like FOMO. It's like, oh, are we making it to everything that we're going to? There were so many circuit parties during Pride that were happening. And there were people who had tickets to all of them and they were all the same night. And it was like, well, where are you going to go? The stress alone of just being over, overbooked. And I'm a little skeptical of, right? Like, it's nice. Like, Fire Island is a queer space. Like, these circuit parties are queer spaces. But I know that there's people in our community who are desperate for places that are queer that aren't like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, these are, these are also industries that are making up money from a lost tourist season, like a lost entertainment season, and so it's like, yeah, we are creating queer community, but also like queer community is suddenly $75 a person, you know, and you have to buy the drugs and you have to buy the outfit and you have to pay for the car. You know what I mean? Like, and you have to do whatever. So it's like, yeah, this is a queer community, but also we don't need to do this to have a queer community. Also three parties. I mean, like I, I, luckily I feel mature enough that I was like, I went to a party on Friday and then on Saturday I went to the Dyke March and then I rested. And then on Sunday, I went to like two parties, like a day and a night party for Pride Weekend. 
but I was so exhausted. And I had friends with me all the time and you're running into people. It was really lovely. But you're also like, <laughs> you're like, why, why do I have to put an itinerary together? Like certainly Stonewall did not have an itinerary <laughs> when this all happened. Um, and there's so many gays who don't do this too, you know? So I think that I, I'm like a specific person. It's, um, do you think it's New York specific? No, because there are New York gays here who don't do these things, which is good. But they're also there. I think after the pandemic, there were people who I think don't normally go to these parties, and I saw them at these parties, and I was like, I guess everyone just feels we've been stuck inside. And people were for sure like super, I think, extra horny at like Fire Island and these parties more so than usual, like extra touchy, extra physical. I think another thing, one thing that we should talk about is. And I don't think I felt this before the pandemic. Everyone is barebacking, in my opinion. Interesting. In my opinion. In my opinion, I have so many friends who are not wearing condoms. And a lot of them are on prep. And I'm not on prep. But I've had lots of guys be like, I don't want to wear a condom. And we haven't like thought about it. But it's been like, I was like, I'm having to push for this like much more than I should have to. Like I was with a guy mm-hmm. at a party and we had already hooked up. And I was like, do you want to go home? And he literally was like, well, are you going to make me wear a condom? And I was like, is that really a question? I was like, I thought we were in 2021. Um, like you would rather stay at this party than go home and have sex with me because I would want you to wear a condom. I, I know it's a different perspective. Like I've, I've never been with a guy, a straight guy that was that how do I put it? They always want to not wear the condom. The moment they're like, "Oh, you're on birth control, great," and it's like, "Cool." I don't always want to be on birth control. Birth control fucking sucks for our bodies. Like explaining what an IUD is and what I went through, I explain it in graphic detail to all of my straight straight men friends Good. because they don't understand like what we've put our bodies through. Yeah. Um, um, and it's the most infuriating to be told I just don't like how it feels because it's like, oh, then you you literally just see me as a vessel then because it doesn't fucking matter. Like I don't want to get sick. I don't want something to happen to me or my health. Like, fuck you. I don't want to grab an STI. I knew I'd get sympathy from you on this. I knew, I knew. I had a guy who was a top that I was hooking up with. We were in bed together and he said, are you on prep? And I said, no. And he was like, um, I said, are you on prep? And he said, well, I'm mostly top. So it's not as big of a risk for me. And I was like, in the conversation around masks right now, for you to be so ignorant, like for me, it's like, okay, if that's what you want to do is, is not be on prep and not wear a condom, right? Like, I mean, you know, you're not like forcing yourself on me. So I, I get to make my own decision, but also to spread like, just like false science, you know, it just the fact that you're, to me, that's very like Trumpian to justify your risky behaviors through misinformation, right? Because mm-hmm. I've heard that too. I've heard people say like, oh, if you are giving, it's less likely to be... Uh... Fuck, it was on fucking White Lotus. Have you watched White Lotus yet? I haven't seen the whole thing, but I'm sure. Is it the teenagers who said that or something? Mm-hmm. Of course. Which is very much their character. But I, I think, um, you know, I... And maybe, you know, I, I took like a class in college about like value and bias and how the way that people perceive things or the information that you're given can change the behaviors that you act on. Cause it was like a class about like, how do we implement public policy? And I love talking about it because the best example is there was a hotel and they said, if you reuse your towel at this hotel, it will help the environment. 
because we're not going to have to wash so many towels. And when they put that sign up, nobody would reuse their towels. They'd be washing all the towels every day. But when they put up a sign that said, 92% of guests at this hotel participate in reusing their towels, more people would reuse their towels. Because our value is not on saving the earth. Our value is on fitting in and going with the status quo. And so for me, you know, it's this interesting thing just about like, you know, one of the things we learned in that class was when people are under severe stress or like life-changing situations, they're more likely to engage in risky, high-risk behaviors. Um, For instance, like not unprotected sex. For me, the issue is HPV. Like, so I recently got good healthcare. um, And when I was in high school, they only gave girls, like cis women, the Gardasil vaccine. So I, my sister got it, but I didn't get it. And that's scary because I have had partners and I have friends who have gotten, if you get HPV, a certain strain in your rectum, it, it forms cysts that have Ooh. to be operated on, not to mention like the higher risk of cancer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like I have a friend today who just got swabbed. Uh, he basically got like a pap smear for his rectum because if you get HPV in your rectum, you're exposed to like rectal cancers. Ooh. It increases your risk. And, and so many gay men or, you know, like people who are engaging in anal sex, they, they have um, HPV and they don't even know it. And that was like a conversation that I had with that guy who didn't want to wear a condom. And he literally pulled out his STI results because he was like, well, I'm very safe. Maybe I made him feel like unclean or something. I don't know. But anyways, I have noticed more now more than ever, people have been wanting to bear back, which I don't know if that's like the pandemic or me or them or, you know, whatever. Because a lot of people have like come and left the city, you know, so who knows what it is. But but I feel like weird being like I have a joke in my stand-up about a doctor one time who wanted to have unprotected sex. And I was like, oh, okay. Before we do, since you're a doctor, could you explain the risks of unprotected sex to me before we do it? And like he like paused and was like, well, uh, yeah. He was like, it's not so. Have you been tested recent? You, you know, I was like, wow. Oh my God. It's wild. But that's just something that's been weighing on me since everything has started to open and I've started to like have more sex with people. Um, another thing I think that is a reason why I have this issue is because I'm like thin and like small and kind of like twinky. Like people will still call me a twink. I don't think that I'm a twink. I can literally grow a full beard and I'm also 29 years old. So it's like, it's not so much like twinky anymore. Um, but people still will like treat you very much. Like, I mean, honestly, like the best example is like, they'll literally just treat you with like the disrespect that a man would treat a woman with, you know what I mean? In a sexual mm-hmm. relationship, like no respect for your sexual autonomy. They'll try to like, I, I have a lot of jokes about like men trying to like physically lift me, like put their arm around my waist and like pull me away from my friends. Like things that people I know will do to me without asking first that they probably wouldn't do to a, a guy who was like bigger than me, like choking or, you know, like putting his fingers in my mouth or, you know, like fingering me on the dance floor, which like some of that I'm fine with. I don't care. I love some of that stuff. Like that's very fun for me. I'm very into it. But the fact I was like, I'll stop guys sometimes. and I'll be like, you, like it wasn't non-consensual. Like if I said like, please don't do that, they would have stopped. 
But it's also this thing of like, but you feel the need to do that with me. I don't know if it's because you feel that that's like what I want or if you feel that that's like what you should be doing to me because I am like small framed and, you know, like, like the, there's been a lot of twink discourse lately on the internet because what, was it Cardi B who was literally like white twinks are out of control on here telling people how to live their lives. I think it was Cardi B. Yeah. So, so funny. I'm so glad she tweeted that because it's true. <laughs> and also there was this twink at a Ty Sunderland party recently on a boat who apparently got really drunk and like threw alcohol on his like DJ equipment. And also apparently was like getting his ass eaten on the dance floor, like in front of everybody, which is like, not, not like that has not happened before. I was honestly like, well, you're shaming this guy for something that happens at every one of these parties. I think it was um, Ty Mitchell, who's a who's like horn performer. Uh, and he said like, oh, wow, like to be the guy who's had his ass eaten on the dance floor today during this discourse, you know what I mean? Like, good to know how you all feel about it, um, which was very good. I thought it was like a very positive conversation. But I do think if you're small, and I mean small as in like, lightweight, um, short, like shorter. If you're like, like twinks are, I think it's a racialized term. So especially white, you know, twinks, um, obviously like men of color in the gay community get disrespected in their own ways, like all the time, you know? And so it's like, but like white twinks get their own little form of like, we will disrespect your body and like not respect your sexual autonomy. And I love when I see like twinks like handle themselves in like a really good way. Like I love, like at Fire Island, I had, I met this guy recently and we went to a party, very good looking guy, very cool dude. And men were literally like turning him around physically and he would like grab them back and things like that. And I loved it because he's also younger than me. And I was like, if I had had, like if I had had those guts at your age to know how to handle that more, more properly when a man like would do that to me, I would have been like, on much better footing. So I was very impressed. But yeah, I think like that's something that's interesting post-pandemic, not post-pandemic, but you know, now that we're in between phases, like we're in a, we're in a vaccinated or like 70% vaccinated world in the United States and like in, in New York, I think people are, like I said, to begin the podcast, like they haven't really dealt with things and they're sort of figuring out who they are again. And one of those things I think is like riskier sexual behaviors. Um, there's a lot of people I've met on the apps who moved here in the middle of the pandemic, like left everything behind, left their job or left their family, left their friends, left their networks. Like they've been coming from like Minneapolis and St. Louis and Austin and Miami and they're moving to New York and they seem like a little lost, you know, because they've like, they're starting a new life in, in this time when like so much life has been lost and we're rediscovering social norms and we've just been through like, a series of protests that are questioning like the way that our society is structured, um, you know, and a lot of them I think are more willing to engage in like riskier behaviors because they haven't really found their footing yet either. But I knew I would get support from you of all people. Some of these gays throw me under the bus when I, when I say what? things because they're like, well, I only did it once or like, well, oops, you know, or something like that. I'm like, like I'm not shaming you for doing what you did. Like, it's not like I haven't ever had like their back sex before. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I was just going to say that, like, there's, I've definitely, I've definitely in the past had sex without a condom with uh, a person that I did not know well, did not know their sexual health, did not know my sexual health because was not aware of how important that is to get constantly checked. Um, truly, moving to New York, you learn. You're from Virginia, everyone, listeners. <laughs> Oh my God, fucking Virginia. When we were growing up, it was the South, so. 
<laughs> I was like, I was having so many like, yes moments when you're talking about being gay at UVA. Cause my best friend who we moved up to, um, New York city together. And we've, I think, I think today is his like 10 year anniversary of moving to New York city. Um, cause he moved a week before me and I was in love with him in college. I had no clue that he was gay. I found out the first week we lived together. Cause he was like, we live in a railroad apartment. You're going to walk in on some blowjobs. Um, so I have to tell you. And he was like, yeah, there's so many closeted people at JMU. Cause we went to JMU and like, he was like, there's so, just so many. It's in the mountains. He, it's in the fucking mountains. And he's from like Louisa. So like right next to Richmond. Louisa County. Please mm-hmm. let's shout out to Louisa County, which is a place. It's also the thing about Louisa is like, there's like depraved poverty in Louisa where people are living like kind of in shacks. And then there's also like mansions in Louisa. Juxtaposition of wealth in Virginia and in New York City is like horrifying. I mean, I guess you could probably say that in like every state, like in every city, you will have that like very like this street is mansions. This street is like uh, shacks and double like double wise. But it's just to be exposed to it in such different, like a blue state and a red state and to see how like so much of it is still so fucking similar. It's very horrifying for me, at least. Yeah, for for real. And like, I will say, I told you when I first moved to New York, I was not sexually experienced at all. Um, I definitely had had some like bad experiences with closeted guys uh, at UVA, like being in a frat house. And like one time this guy and I were making out and like there were times at UVA where I would be at a party and there'd be this guy I was like in love with and, you know, like wide eyed, like, oh my God, I'm young, I'm gay, you know, all these things. I'm in college. And um, he would be there with a girl, like with his arm around a girl and they would be like kissing and stuff. And he would be like, I'm going to go on a smoke break. Ryan, do you want to come with me? And I'd be like, yeah, I'll come with you. I don't even smoke cigarettes. And we would go out, he would smoke one cigarette and then we would just make out like outside by the trees and we would go back in and he would just sit down next to the girl again like straight up which i we were talking earlier about summer camp you know i wonder about the next generation because you know things aren't great for gay people and especially trans people like all over the country but there are like more legal rights in a sense than like what what we had when we were growing up and definitely there's more visibility it's not perfect but it's definitely more visible And I wonder if people will even, like, what will Fire Island become when that generation moves up, right? And, you know, I mean, they're also, they live through the Trump era, so it's like, who knows? And the weird thing, too, is, like, the more open gay people become, there's more gay conservatives, there's more gay moderates. Like, there's there's not, like, the radical element is, like, much harder to find, especially, like, at a place like Fire Island, which is cost-prohibitive. But, you know, I, I, I wonder, are people still having these experiences? You know, I have talked to people at UVA and they said it got much better. Like it is not like, you know, it's not perfect. And there's still a ton of closet cases there, but it's not the kind of thing where you feel like you have to engage in it just because you have such limited options. Right. I was in a frat house once and a guy and I were making out and his frat brother like walked down the stairs and he put his hand over my mouth. And you want to like yell at them for it. But the guy, I always say like, he was so scared. You could like see it in his eyes. He was kind of shaking. And it's like, how could I yell at somebody? I was like, I was like, you know, faggot, you chose this for yourself. Like you chose to come here and hook up with this guy. Like you knew what was happening. You knew we weren't like in a happy, fun, you know, situation where, you know, I had friends at UVA who like, they were dating closeted guys from the town of Charlottesville. and. We would go hang out with them and their friends at a bar, a straight bar, 
And they would literally tell us before we would go, like, try not to be too gay because they don't know about it. And, and I was like, so this is really interesting that like, we are gay at this college and these people are closeted with their straight friends in the town, but they've like also went to college. They just moved back and we're, you know, we all have this level of privilege and here we are pretending not to be gay, like toning down our gayness to hang out with your boyfriend in a blue city in a red state. I was like, and this was like 2013, like Obama was president. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, what's going on? I'll never forget those moments. I mean, I'm always very interested in what the next, I have a lot of gay mentors because I worked at an experimental theater in the East Village for six years. So like, I am not, I don't consider myself a part of like the lost generation. Like I have more gay mentors than I ever wanted, you know? And they're all really cool and I'm so grateful for it. But it does make me curious for what is to come you know, from the, the next generation. And obviously, like, the next generation isn't going to be all one thing, but I'm interested in their experiences. Like, what are the experiences of, like, you know, Black queer is going to be coming up? And what are the experiences of, like, trans kids going to be growing up now? And what are the experiences of, you know, like, immigrants going to be? Like, people are undocumented and queer. Like, you know, more vulnerable communities, you know, I'm not really worried about the white cis gays, I'll be honest. Like, I'm sure they're sucking dick in frat houses still. They probably always will. But I'm not too worried about their, you know, health and betterment. Um, I think they're going to be okay. But I am interested to see how everything happens, uh, you know, going forward and whether or not, you know, because obviously Fire Island has changed. There's a really great exhibit that was up at the uh, New York Museum. I forget what it is. New York Historical or like Cultural Society. And it was photos of men at Fire Island in like the 60s and 70s. And it's just different. And it was really beautiful to see the photos, but obviously like mostly white men, which it kind of still is. But, but it, we will never know what that was like to like live in, like, you know, like with COVID, like people who live through the AIDS crisis right now are like, imagine COVID was happening to only you and your friends and you were all dying and no one was even looking for a vaccine. No one was even looking for a cure. You had to dump your boyfriend's ashes on the White House lawn to even get a get somebody to even like fund research for a cure, right? And that took years, right? And so like back then, like we will never know what that was like to live in this like cis heteronormative world that was so stifling when when sodomy was literally criminal on the books and marriage was no one even thought about it. And certainly no anti-discrimination laws in employment or housing or anything. Maybe in the city, I think in the 80s, eventually we got a housing non-discrimination thing just in the city. And, um, and they would go to this place and it would be, I'm sure there were issues still like with everything because you know, you're still living your life. But like that was an oasis that we will never know. Right. Like even me, 23, coming from Virginia, working at a restaurant, going to Fire Island, I was in awe. But I was living a gay life in the city. Like I was openly gay at work with my family, with my friends. I was dating. I had my doctor knew I was gay, like, you know, all these things. So I, I'm interested to see like what becomes of, you know, like you see things like cruising, like people still cruise. We don't have to anymore, but we still do it. Interesting you know, an option for us. But I wonder, you know, about the next people, what, 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 what will they do? So 
Yeah. I wish, I mean, I think you just spoke of it like so eloquently because I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. And I'm hopeful. I'm very, very hopeful. It's crazy how quickly everyone forgot about like the 80s and like what Reagan did. Oof. Like it's crazy. Like it's crazy. My parents like love Reagan. I was just like, cool, great. I'm so glad you're so fucking generic. I don't know. Um, and you're right. Like, you know, people brought it up when COVID happened and like masks were our condoms or condoms were like the mask. Like this is the solution we have for you. We don't know what else to do. But it was never on the news. Like, I mean, there mm-hmm. is comfort in knowing that everyone around the world is dealing with this thing that you're dealing with. But nobody was like out in the public. I mean, obviously COVID hit vulnerable communities that, you know, harder than other ones. But nobody was literally like, COVID is your punishment for your sin. You know, like nobody said that. Maybe somebody said that, but it certainly wasn't, you know, the, because everyone was dying. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, obviously like certain communities were hit worse, but in the beginning, like the first three months when people were dying and people were like in freezer trucks and shit, everyone, I think there was a sense of solidarity back then. Right. And that quickly Mm -hmm. faded, but we had it for a second, (laughs) you know? Oh yeah. Uh, the, what was it? It was like, everyone was like, oh, it's happening to everyone. This is going to be the great equalizer of America. And then these, the like numbers started coming out and that it was disproportionately, you know, um, like black Americans on ventilators and dying at rapid, um, at a rapid rate compared to like certain neighborhoods in Manhattan, like Brownsville got fucking decimated. Higher rates of asthma, higher rates of obesity, less access to healthcare, more like at risk jobs, like the South too. You look at the South, South was devastated because uh, the highest black populations are in the South till still to this day, like percentage wise of the population. And um, you saw that like people had diabetes, asthma, all these conditions that have like been untreated from those people being the victims of like environmental racism. And, you know, you really, it was a perfect storm of like misery. And you had all the politicians come out and be like, black people do better with COVID rather than like you said, address the, oh, but we are missing a lack of adequate healthcare, Um, you know, jobs that they can't work from home from, um, environmental racism, uh, generational uh, racism, like the things that have caused, what is it? It's like, this didn't cause this, this caused it. Like, and no one's ever uh, willing to have that conversation or I don't, people are willing to have the conversation, but no one's ever willing to do anything about it. They're just like, oh yeah, that's happening. And then like walk away. I got into one fight on fire Island. I try not to, but I did this last time. And it was with this, uh, 40 year old gay who was like beautiful. Like before we had a fight, we were talking literally about like, wow, you have aged so well. Like you're, you look incredible. Um, and he was like, yeah, I do. But he, he said his uh, fiance, his husband was from Canada. And so he was like trying to get his Canadian passport right now. And I said, you know, and we were like, oh, well, Canada's doing like much better than us in a lot of ways. But then I also pointed out, you know, Canada has like some really, like, first of all, all those like Native American schools came out recently, like the, the murders that had happened there. But then um, they have this law in Canada where if you are HIV positive and you don't disclose it to your sexual partner, even if you're undetectable and even if you don't transmit the virus to them, they can, you can go to jail and it's like years. And I mean, Canada is like even less black than the United States and a substantial number of the people who are targeted are like people of color. And, uh, I told him that and he was like, Oh, I think that's actually a good law. And I like paused and I was like, all the things rushing into my head of like, is this worth it? But to me, it would be like if you were at a party and someone said something just so hysterically ridiculous 
like trans women aren't women or something like that. Of course I would combat that. Like you just, it's just not true. And so it would be like somebody saying like the sky is like red and I'd be like, well, it isn't red. Like I just, I have to tell you that it's not what you're saying is wrong because like criminalizing people with HIV only leads to higher transmission rates. And it, and and I was just trying to tell him, like, I understand. And he was born in, like, 1980, because he's 40. So obviously, like, you know, he grew up with, like, a, probably a lot of trauma from AIDS. Like, a lot. Like, he was 10 in 1990. He was 12 at the height of the AIDS epidemic in this country, um, like, during that era. And, like, 92 was, like, when so many people died. So I understand maybe where he's coming from. But I just had to like fight him and just say like, and I used the example, I was like, sodomy used to be illegal. And people said like, let's make it illegal because like, for instance, like sodomy was one of the things that was like spreading HIV. So there were arguments in the 80s to keep sodomy laws on the books to prevent the spread of HIV. But we all know sodomy laws didn't stop people from having anal sex or whatever kind of sex, you know? It, it all it did was make people feel really scared and targeted by the police and imprisoned until 2003, they struck down sodomy laws across the country. And that's like our lifetime. I mean, I remember 2003. And for me, I just tried to explain to him, like, what you're saying is, I think that this is good because it will stop HIV from spreading to people who are unsuspecting, right? When we know that, first of all, that isn't the law in Canada because like they're not spreading it and they're still going to jail. And then also it, it stigmatizes people who live with HIV as people who are like super spreaders. And then it also like raises the rate of HIV because people don't want to get tested because they don't want to, you know, all this stuff. It's like, it almost criminalizes you knowing your status. And he just, he, he I didn't get through to him. We left the party and he still was like, I just looked at him and I, I didn't want to sound condescending, but I just said like, I hope that what I'm saying to you makes sense that like, I'm just telling you that making these laws actually hurts people. It doesn't help people. And I think I just made him feel like kind of insecure. You know what I mean? By having all this like facts. And then there was a guy there who's like in a medical research group at Harvard studying the like epidemiology of HIV. And he came over and was like, I'm literally writing a thesis on this. Everything he's saying is correct even though there's like way more information that neither of us knows, like he's telling you the truth, if that helps. And the guy was still like, no, I just think that it's fine that that law exists. And I was like, okay. And I felt really bad because I was like, oh, I was just trying to make a joke about like how Canada is also not progressive. And it sort of like backfired. (laughs) But he kind of like proved your point too. But I feel really lucky because like, I always feel like I've had a pretty sex positive relationship. Not when I bully men. I felt like for a while I bullied men because I that was like how I flirted. And I was like, oh, this is not good. This will not get you partners that are like respectful and kind. But um, like, I've been lucky to have people educate me on like sex positivity and things like that. My mom, I think is so crucial to that. Shout out to my mom. She was always when we were little, like you can always come to me and like talk to me about things. Like she, and she would like share her own stories about like, like when my sister got her period for the first time, my mom also sat me down separately and like explained what menstruation was to me, which I think was ultimately beneficial to me. Absolutely. Um, but she's wild. Like she's way ahead of her time, my mother. But she 
also like when I came out as gay, like obviously was super worried about me like contracting HIV and was just like, you know, she was, she was born in 59. So like she was like in her twenties in the like late seventies, early eighties. So like she saw it all, like she saw the, the fear and all of that. And so she was really worried about me, but like always very sex positive, like never like, you're going to die. It was always just like, Ryan, be careful, you know, like be careful. And I'd be like, you be careful, you know, <laughs> like very funny back and forth. But I think that I felt really lucky in that conversation to have the knowledge that I had that like why this law is wrong and how it affects people living with HIV and AIDS and, you know, things like that. And um, so, and I feel that same way when I talk to these guys who want to bareback, I'm like, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm certainly not going to give this up. I was like, I was like, I didn't move to New York City where there's like thousands of gay men to settle for anything less than like what I'm comfortable with. I, you know, like I talked earlier about at UVA, sometimes you would end up in situations that sucked. Not that you don't hear, but like there, it's like, you don't really have a choice. Or when I went there, you don't really have a choice. Although the, I made it sound really bad. There were lots of people at UVA who were in like very healthy, long-term monogamous, like really gay relationships. I make it sound like we were all like, like feasting on breadcrumbs, like in the apocalypse when there were also people who were like holding hands, walking to class and like living their best lives, you know? Um, not that we weren't living our best lives, but they, it was a balance, you know, I think it was a balance, but um yeah, but it's good. I always feel like uh, definitely more, like I'm always learning to be more sex positive. And definitely like, sometimes I feel like I know more about what is sex positive and I do not apply it in my own life. And I always carried like a lot of shame about that for a long time. And I feel much better about it now. This has been an amazing conversation. It's an amazing episode. Oh, I love you. I, you know I love oh, you though. You, thank you, know, you. I'm such a fan of yours. So. Oh my God. I'm a fan of yours. I love you too. You're gonna have to do the next Awkward Sex once I get uh, new dates. Yes, I love that. it would be my honor. <laughs> but I want to leave because you've just, you've been so like open and just uh, such a great guest. It's like a perfect podcast guest. That, and because you're from Virginia too, I want to leave you with one of my favorite memories of like our first week in New York City. Me and my, my then open uh, gay roommate, he's now open too, but like he wasn't before. We had like Googled every like gay bar that we could find for like our first week out. And we went to Nowhere, which is still today one of my favorite bars ever. And the bouncer stops us and he's like, I need you to understand what type of bar this is. Because he, my roommate, was in khaki shorts, flip-flops, and a yellow Ralph Lauren polo that you would see everywhere at UVA or JMU. And I was in literally a strapless like sun mini dress with like a red sash as if I was going to see the horses race. And we were like, no, 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 we know, we know. And he was like, I don't think you do. Um, and it's to the same one of my favorite memories ever, favorite memories ever of just like having the Virginia beat out of us yes. so quickly. And you know, it, we were ready for it. Like we were Yeah, oh yeah. There were, we were like, I mean, please. I've been to singlet parties at like nowhere bar and things like that. I know that bouncer, like the Puerto Rican guy, very sweet. Mm -hmm. He runs like a lot of shit, I think. He just seems like he always seems like he like knows what's up. Like I'm always like if anything happens, I'm going to find you. Cause like, I know that you probably have handled like every situation in the book, you know, like <laughs> that's great. I love him so much. Love Thank you so much, Ryan. This truly is a great episode. I'm so excited. This is going to go up, um, next Wednesday, the 18th. Yeah. yeah. Oh, can I do a plug real quick? I just, Oh my God. Yes. I just want people to follow off mag on, um, all social media on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. It's a queer satire magazine that we've been working on for a couple of years. And it has like a really good team of just like brilliant queer satirists and humorists, um, at off mag, A W F M A G on all 
everything, but it's killer. Our team is like full of brilliant minds. So yay. Well, have a great weekend. Have a great Friday. You too. I hope to see you soon. Yes. Bye. Bye. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I know you had a blast. It was such a fun episode. It was such, again, interesting episode. Remember to follow Off Magazine at AWF Magazine. I'm sorry, AWF Mag. And follow Ryan too. His Instagram is all my problems with a Z. Go follow Ryan Leach. He's so funny. Go see him perform in New York City. Go follow Off Mag. Go buy tickets for Awkward Sex in the City on August 27th. Go, go live your best life. Go wish me a happy birthday. Go have fun. Go do you. Um, because that is truly the hardest thing. And being nostalgic of the past 10 years, it is the one thing people will always try to get you to not do. Not the people that are good, not the people that are important in your lives, but there's going to be a lot of people in your life that don't want you to do this. And fuck them. Who cares? It's not their fucking life. Go live your life. I will see you guys, what, next fucking week. <laughs> <laughs>